Hey y'all, this is Jeff Ryder of Gravity Matters from Cloud Wrangler Comics, and you are listening to Adrian Has Issues, because you are smart. Welcome to Adrian Has Issues. Today's guests are returning for a second time. For those of you who may not know, this is going back, wow, this is episode 94, if I'm not mistaken, entitled The Cog Core, which Cog itself was short for Children of Gaia, which is one of the many wonderful projects from Oneshi Press. And well, let's introduce them individually. Well, there's Lizzie G, who is an author, journalist, publisher, editor, and co-founder of Oneshi Press. And we have JL Draco, who's a multimedia visual artist and co-creator of Oneshi Press. And between the two of them, there were three projects that we had spoke of in depth in that episode. Uh, of course, being Children of Gaia and also Tracy Queen and Pac. So what we figured we'd do is, um, well, first off, welcome back to the show. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so glad to be back. Thank you so much for having us back. I guess we didn't totally bomb it the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Quite the opposite. People love that episode. And the fact that we were able to do it again, I'm always a fan of catching up. And one thing about doing this show and talking to creators is I'm always interested about what people are up to, what they're doing. But since we do talk so much about community, and that's really our focus, something that a friend and a former guest had said um, if I'm not mistaken, it was Stan Cho on an earlier episode, had mentioned something very important that I thought was very true, in a sense, was about attendance and showing up. At the time, we were talking about strictly convention circuits, about, you know, showing out, you know, to support people you may know, people you may not know. It then kind of took a little bit of a deeper meaning in referring to showing up in terms of making sure that when making connections, the most important thing you can do is continue those connections sure. and constantly, you know, making sure that checking on their progress because something that is very awesome to see from creators is the progress that they've made from where they started from that initial contact to where they may be later on. And one thing I will say and what I do appreciate about Neshi Press is that as a collective, you've managed to cultivate this very good following and for the work that you do that we will definitely be getting into and reaching out to make sure that you're always letting people know where you are and what you're doing and you know things that they may be excited for, which is a very difficult job in and of itself because a lot of that time is just taken up creating. So hmm. if not, first and foremost, I just want to say thank you for just being really great at making sure that you take care of your fans as well as your fans take care of you. Wow. Thank you for saying that. It's one of the most important things is the the stuff that we create. We create for people, you know, for people that we have high hopes for. We have high hopes that this, that our creations can reach them and help them on one level or another. It would be pointless if it weren't for those people. You know, if it weren't for the consumers, there'd be no point in making this. It would be like making like some wonderful three course meal and then just letting it get cold on a countertop somewhere in the void of <laughs> space. You know, like what is the right. point, right? So, I mean, really, it is all about the fans. And I think being indie has allowed us to remain approachable and interactive. 
it is building a community and it's about attendance, but it's not just about the fans attendance. It's about our attendance too. You know, like the fans attendance within that community doesn't mean anything if we're not there and our attendance in the community doesn't mean anything if there's no community there. So it is kind of a all hands working together sort of thing, you know? Absolutely. I just want to just let you know how appreciative I am of that because that's something that I also have to make sure that I let people know. Like I said, you take the time out to talk to me about what you have going on and that I take very seriously. And I think that's very great of you. So let's get right into it. For those who may not have listened to episode 94, I figured if you want to maybe do like at least a little bit of overview of Oneshi Press itself and, you know, the projects, like I said, Children of Gaia and the others. So that way, maybe people have a general idea as to what it is that you're creating. We're an indie publisher. Um, it's right now pretty much the two of us at the helm of this thing. And we are focused primarily on making beautiful books that are generally graphic and artistic in nature. So we're doing comic books, we're doing graphic novels, we're doing sort of illustrated novels, art books, that kind of thing. Hopefully in the future, we'll be working with different types of books, too. We're thinking about expanding into prose and maybe poetry. But for right now, we're focusing pretty much on art-based books. So we've got three sort of ongoing projects that we are working on as the creative team and also as the publisher. The first one is Tracy Queen, which is a graphic novel. It's a pretty big one. It's going to be about 300 pages when it's finished. And Tracy Queen is one that I wrote and JL is creating the artwork for um, as we speak. I think right now we're up to page like 30, somewhere around. Oh, we're, we're, oh, wow. we're, we're into oh, yeah, we're issue two. That's right. page like 48. Yeah. Holy yeah. cow, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and that's going to be divided up into eventually seven different standalone issues and then someday at the end seven? of the seven issues is going to be a huge big book on its own wait 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 seven really yes <laughs> wow so they're talking seven 30 what 36 page seven 36 page issues yeah i'm i'm kind of a <laughs> my long-winded. brain doesn't want to even think about that <laughs> i'm, I'm, I'm kind of a long-winded writer sorry <laughs> you know that makes me want to just start drawing right now <laughs> so Tracy Queen is a story of a woman who, when we meet her, she's sort of um, sort of a prisoner. She's been raised to take over a crime syndicate for her grandfather. Since she was a little girl, this has been what she's been raised for. And so she's been trained in all of these ways to fight, ways to survive. But she's kind of sheltered from the world and doesn't really know a whole lot about life right. itself. Um So as the novel goes on, um, she meets a friend who happens to be a talking raccoon, because why not? Um, (laughs) And he basically starts, I don't know, uh, telling her a little bit more about what she's worth on her own. So she breaks free of the crime syndicate, only to realize that she really relied on them for her living, and she doesn't know how to make any money. So she starts doing adult webcam shows, and it turns out she really likes it. She's like, this is the best thing ever. I feel fantastic. I get to make connections with fans and they pay me for what I'm doing. So over time, she gets really good at it and she becomes sort of um, an indie porn phenomenon. And during that time, she's sort of continuing to distance herself from her former life of crime. But her grandfather won't really leave her alone. And the more famous she gets, the more the sort of embodiment 
of like the evil skeezy patriarchal porn world named Dicky Doublefinger decides that she has to work for him or he just like he'll never be fulfilled unless she comes to work for him. So I won't give away all the spoilers, but in the end, there's a gigantic battle between a cyborg clone army that Tracy creates to defend herself and the porn star army that Dickie has created. So it's pretty epic. There's a talking raccoon. There's cyborgs. There's porn. There's fighting. It's kind of got everything. So that's Tracy Queen in a nutshell. (laughs) We should specify. It's about her being in porn, but it's not... She's not in, like, it's not a porn comic. There's not porn yeah. in the comic. Right. So, like, you know, the, a bunch of viewers might have just perked up and been like, ooh, <laughs> porn comic. Sorry, guys. It's not that kind of comic. Well, it's just, I mean, there's, I mean, there's some sexy content. She's sexy. But it's, it's not all sex you know, all the time. There's it, a lot more going on. Right. There's, um, you know, it's all in context and it, you know, serves yeah. a purpose, which I think we had even yeah. spoke about that on your last appearance where when you were writing it, you wanted to make sure that people knew that. While that's definitely a part of it, you know, this isn't necessarily just for the sake of... Titillation. Exactly. You know, I was going to say that, but then I'm like, is that the right word? Because I guess I was going with titillation shock value, which that's actually a word that doesn't get said enough. I know. That's exactly what I was thinking. It's not said out loud very often. You know, it's also like, and I want to be clear, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's just that that's not what this is. It's, And that's the thing that makes it interesting generally... If there's a character in something who's a porn star, it's going to at least be softcore smut, you know, which and I don't mean that badly. I don't I don't use smut smut derogatorily. (laughs) Smut is great. I'm just saying like, (laughs) whereas this is actually an action comic where the main character happens to be an adult star. Right. And that is something that I've never seen done. And I think it's interesting. As opposed to a smut comic where the main character happens to be an action hero. You know, it's the <laughs> other way around. It's an action comic where the yeah. main character happens to be an adult star. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of a, a weird twist on it. Yeah. You know? And it's also like a sprawling epic. So we're, we're working our way through that. We've There's published... sci-fi, cyborgs, clones, armies, you know, yeah. it goes all over the place. So far, we've published 32 pages of that, which we can get into later. Our second big project is Pack. Which is the story of, I think as we put it in our copy, it's a pack of six stray dogs and one stray man who are roaming the streets of Brooklyn and putting crime under the fang. Under the fang. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, hold on, I'm sorry. I just, I love that you were right there with accused for that. (laughs) (laughs) He knows what I'm thinking. That is um, fantastic. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> you're thinking, you want to get me another beer. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> uh. So Pack is also going to be out in seven issues, but they will be shorter each. They're normal 24-page length each right. uh, when we're finished with it. Um, and each comic book is going to tell sort of the background story of one of the members of the pack. So it covers a lot of territory from sort of the ways in which dogs sort of bear the brunt of humanity's ills. You know, there's one dog that has escaped from being a fighting dog, um, one dog that barely escaped with its life because it was part of a tainted litter um, and backyard breeders and so on. And it's also up against the backdrop of a police force that is trying to fight growing crime in a gentrifying neighborhood. And so the dogs of the pack are sort of doing the work of the police force sometimes by enforcing justice, but they do it in a really particularly brutal way, you know, given that they have fangs and no thumbs. Um, (laughs) And so uh, 
one of the police officers that we get to know over the course of the comic starts out thinking that he really loves the pack because they're kind of doing what all the red tape of being a police officer won't allow him to do. But he sort of has to re-examine that a few times over the course of the comic because he's not really sure that what they're doing is really justified because they're so brutal. So that's actually really twisting because there's also this other aspect of like, he finds out that at least one of the officers in his precinct is on the take with this organized crime syndicate, which can I spoil the Easter egg? I don't know. I'm going to do I'm it. Not I'm sure going to do talking it. About. Oh, oh, oh yeah. One of many. We are so chock full of Easter eggs, guys. <laughs> I hope that you've got your basket ready for this Easter egg hunt. Um, but I'm going to give you a hint about one of them. So there's the organized crime syndicate that Tracy Queen was raised to be the heir of. And then there's also <clears throat> similar, maybe maybe the same organized crime syndicate in PAC, which actually one of the officers is on the take with. Um, so there's, it deals with police corruption too. And what do you do when you're like the good cop and you know as a cop, like you have to support the cops, but then there's like, well, is there a bad cop? well, this guy is doing bad things and he's a cop, so I have to make him my enemy. But then does that mean I'm making the, you know, my own team my enemy? And it gets into like team mentality, right? Which is like on any kind of force, you know, that becomes your identity is the team mentality, right? So like that becomes his crisis of faith. Is this vigilante who's doing horrible things better just as fucked up, just as good. Like he doesn't know. And like, can he turn on this one officer or if this guy that he works with is in on the take, maybe the corruption's got to go higher than that because he has supervisors, right? So how high does it go? Who's in on it? Who isn't? He can't, he doesn't know, you know, like he could get himself into a lot of trouble, you know, if he says the wrong thing to the wrong person it gets real dicey, you know, so it's really about a crisis of faith and like wanting to do the right thing, wanting to be a good guy. And what does that mean? To be lawful might make you a bad guy and to be the vigilante might make you a bad guy. Like, you know, it's just it's super dicey. And I think that's the point is it's supposed to be really heady and interesting. While meanwhile, it's under the guise of this like just greedy, tough vigilante comic like. It's a no-brainer. You know, it's like this dude and his dog's going to go beat up crime. But underneath all that, there's all these extra layers of just, like, think fodder. Which is some of my favorite when it comes to crime thrillers, because, you know, a lot of that does play into, like, that moral ambiguity, which yeah. is... Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that is okay to admit, though, but those are always often my favorite stories, because... You know, and we could go on about that for a while because the, a lot of my favorite characters growing up were those that, and maybe not necessarily a good versus evil, but more of the, in order to do the right thing, you know, how far are you willing to go? Mm. You know, where where do you draw the line? So I can definitely resonate with that, which I'm sure a lot of the readers will definitely resonate with that as well. Are you allowed to say specific examples? Like, Well, like, especially a lot of like the Marvel ones, like, I mean, you know, growing up, I mean, while there was Batman, there were some, like, well, Spider-Man wasn't as conflicted. I guess it was more of a, all right, uh, do I fight the Kingpin or do I, you know, try to go on his date kind of thing? But (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking, you know, a lot of, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. I was thinking, um, because I had this great uh, chat with my uh, stepson about Magneto and the X-Men and what makes that character so fascinating is, you know, I said that this person who, 
while is very pro-mutant, you know, has used a lot of the tactics of the oppressor. Used their own skills against him, but then it kind of goes into this other area where at what point do you start to then ape that behavior to the point where now you're almost doing the same thing? Yeah. Right, exactly. I gotta be honest, I wasn't not rooting for him. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, like, there's a point to a point. Oh my gosh, that's a whole other podcast right there. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's a serious one too. Yeah. But it's like up until when you start harming other people that are trying to do good. Right. And that's really what it comes down to. Right. If you're so angry at the wrongdoing that vengeance has become your goal and helping and rebuilding and healing and reconstructing are no longer your goal. Now it's just about vengeance. That's when, unfortunately, the wrong that was done to you has infected you. You haven't fought off the infection of the wrong that was done to you. And now you are perpetuating wrongdoing. Right. You know, harm was done to you and now you are harming. Yeah. When we think of it that way, we can track it like epidemiology, like a disease. And that's what that's really what I want all of these stories at the end of the day. One of many points, but that is a really strong point that all of our stories tend to kind of point out or look at, toy with, examine, is that idea of like, when is the thing that you thought would make you a good guy too much? When does it become, you bad know, guy bad guy stuff? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that Pack really sort of sets up that moral conundrum in simpler terms than most of our other projects. There's a lot more going on, but that's sort of the heart of what Pack is examining is, you know, at what point does delivering justice just mean vengeance? And is that okay? In a very... In direct way, I know, you know, with Children of Gaia, that entire universe deals with that, I think, more on a sometimes very personal level, but even on a grander, dare I say, political scale, as far as how the nations are governed. Right. Exactly, right. So, sociocultural, political, historical scale. <laughs> a lot of anthropology and, and yeah. like, and a lot of... Um, Social philosophy went into COG, you know, a lot. Like, we're constantly reading and studying and, you know. Well, so speaking of which, COG, um, we'll do a, the oh, quickest yeah. of overviews that we can. Synopsize, synopsify <laughs> COG. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, we'll so we'll make that word work. <laughs> I love making words that aren't real work. Well, it's between like my- that and we're going well, to make that work. And you know what? We're bringing titillation back. I wonder if we could make that into a hashtag. Probably wouldn't pick up too fast, but I like it. (laughs) Make a t-shirt, bring titillation back. Yeah, eat that, Justin Timberlake. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so Children of Gaia, who I'm sure is listening right now and probably just chuckled. You'll hear about it eventually. (laughs) He he just spits some beer out. (laughs) What? (laughs) <laughs> um, J. Tims, as I like to call him. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, Children of Gaia is the best term that we've come up with is a fantasy universe that we are developing along with the help of several other creative people. I think we're at about a team of six right now, but it's been in development for over 20 years between JL and his friend Chris Covelli, both of whom are like creative powerhouses. And we are developing a gigantic story that covers 
decades of actual story, but then there are, you know, millennia of cultural development, um, mythology, history, and so on. So right now, the published part of Children of Gaia is sort of a, uh, like a prequel sort of backstory book called uh, The Great Nations of Randaria that JL wrote and did all of the illustrations for. That gives a lot of the background of (laughs) One of the two realms involved in Children of Gaia, um, and it's sort of the more fantastical of the two realms. The other one is a bit more like, um, bit more like Earth. Um, it's more imperial. Um, there's more industry, that type of thing. And I don't want to go into too much detail because we could really go down a rabbit I mean, hole here. <laughs> totally understandable because I know this thing's massive. So anyone yeah. who's listening, I know we get a little bit into it the last one. So if you feel yeah. like you're missing out on that, I mean, well, A, you are because it's really good. You <laughs> check it out. But it's there's so much that goes into this that... Honestly, like I went back and re-listened to our last one. I was like, holy crap. Like, you know, people talk about universe building and make it sound simple, but you guys actually made it seem so simple. <laughs> oh, really? Hey, high wow. five. Awesome. All right. <laughs> That's, I was not expecting you to say that. I was expecting you to be like, people talk about universe building and make it seem simple, but you guys showed how complicated it is or something. So like <laughs> Because seriously, one of the um, biggest things of advice that we've gotten from like um, colleagues and, you know, people that we work with, um, our friend Kristen Petamonti, for example, is like she's a, a storyteller. And one of the things that she does professionally is to help other people reduce and refine their story as like professionals who are like trying to get this grant or funding for something to like take it and t- turn it into like you know, a very concise story, right? A synopsis, if you will, synopsizing, right? Um, (laughs) So like one of the things that she was like telling us was like, you know, this is a really complicated story. Like you've got to, you've got to be able to make it sound simple. Well, the way to make it sound simple, I believe, is um, to talk about one project at a time. Right. Because we have multiple projects that are going to be telling different parts of this story in different ways and we have a few scheduled. So right now we have the Great Nations of Rendaria, uh, which is backstory, sort of developmental. Also, there's just gorgeous illustrations in there. Like if you're into fantasy art, fantasy wildlife, architecture, cultural anthropology, mythology, history, like any of these things, or diagrams. There's lots of diagrams. Cutaway views of architecture. Yeah. <laughs> and any of these things, you will enjoy this book because there's a little something in there for everyone. But it's it's sort it's of a, a scholarly book. yeah it's, it's a, a scholarly look at the lore of the world. It's a lore book written from the perspective of a character in the world of Children of Gaia. Right. So right. like I actually wrote it and illustrated it the way I imagined that this character Jan Kazian would be writing it and illustrating it. Yeah. So that that's a kind of interesting angle for a first book from a series. I think. Yeah. It was a weird choice, but. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it gives a lot of the background info that you will need going forward. We're working on two new projects in the Children of Gaia world now. Oh, yeah. Um, one of them is called War and Horses, and it's a very sort of like dusty Western kind of project. And it happens in the other realm that is involved in Children of Gaia, so sort of the more Earth-like one, in a place that looks a lot like the old American West. So there's dust, there's sort of cattle rustlers and horse stealing and gunfights and the whole thing. 
And that's going to be written by Peter Lampasona, who is one of our cohorts in working of children and children of Gaia. Nice. Um, and it's going to be co-illustrated by JL and Christopher Covelli. And so Peter is writing that one also from the perspective of a character in children of Gaia. Mm-hmm. So he's writing it as if this character Landon Ford is writing it. And I'm illustrating it as if Landon Ford's photographing events and things that he's uncovering. And then Chris is illustrating it as if the quote unquote publishing company in this world hired an illustrator to like draw diagrams of the things that they couldn't get photos of. So it's kind of interesting. Again, it's going to the idea is to make this book that looks like something that if you were in Children of Gaia and you were somewhere in Terra, probably in the Draven Republic, you could walk into a general store and buy this book. Yeah, sort of like a dime novel style. Which is probably a smart move that keeps it from getting too far out of your hands. And, you know, it's sprawling, but, you know, working on it in small pieces as opposed to getting overwhelmed by it is a very smart move. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> That's what we're hoping. It's, yeah, because it's such a big story. We want to, like, just keep all these little side stories coming out, you know, and, like, digestible little side stories within, you know, that work within their own context that eventually build this larger context. So when the actual story, Children of Gaia, comes out, the actual, like, core narrative, hopefully there will be some following and there will be some, like, pop culture relevance already established. You know, people will already be talking about it a little. Yeah, I believe if we were, like, suit-and-tie corporate types, it would be called Building a Buzz Oh, yeah. Something like that. Um, Which is sad that building a buzz itself is a buzzworthy phrase, which is cringeworthy. Like, I, it's, and I hate that that's the thing. It's like, you know, speaking of creating new words, like, there's got to be another way to say that where you don't kind of sound like a jerk, which no offense to anybody who uses (laughs) those words, but, you know, it's like, (laughs) man, that's what happens when being cool gets co opted. I know. I mean, that's kind of the thing right. with corporate speak, right? Like, it's all based they, on being cool. And right. It always co-opts it. And it's also based on taking a large idea and turning it into these little sound bites that you can throw into your presentation, right? And so then, like, of course, I want to use the sound bite instead of explaining everything. <laughs> Everybody knows what it means, you know? But you end up sounding like that guy. Right? And I, I was this close, and I had said this to a friend of mine way back when, and Oh, God, like, we had laughed way too hard where I was this close to wanting to find a way to classify corporate speak as hate speech, because it just <laughs> is so rage-inducing to me sometimes. Like, awesome. <laughs> like oh, there's, man. I mean, not to go too far off into a tangent, but you can basically just tell people, hey, we thought this was a cool idea, we wanted to try it, hopefully you will too. Right. Bam. That's it. Bam. I don't need Bam. to read four paragraphs about, you know, just, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Which will always make me think of 30 Rock now. Thanks. <laughs> Synergy is the one that really gets under my skin. I had a theory for a while that we should just start using Entropy instead and see if anybody would notice. Because Ooh. everyone's so used to hearing Synergy. Like, would if we just used Entropy, which is the opposite, in its place, would people just nod and pretend like they knew what oh, we were yeah, talking totally. about? Absolutely. You can say that right now. You know what? We need just to have a, a glossary now of just words we're bringing back. Uh, you know, you can totally make that a thing for Neshi Press. <laughs> yeah, so what we're because trying to do here is entropize all three of these projects. We've really got to syner- a... synergize our entropic lead magnets. <laughs> yes. Are we doing this deal or what? <laughs> so get out of my uh, office, please. <laughs> get out of my office. 
Um, oh, shoot. Oh, but, but there's one more Children of Gaia thing that is in the very beginning stages, but mm. we're, we are developing mm-hmm. a short comic project um, that will introduce char- uh, readers to a few of the characters in the story um, and give a lot of more visuals to um, sort of what's going on in the realm of Randaria when our story, the main story begins. Right. And so that on my streams is something we're going to be coming back to whenever it's a cog week. Um, at the time of this recording, it's currently a Tracy queen week. Next week will be a pack week. And the week after that will be a children of Gaia week. So we're going to be working on, on those pages for this eight page short. And the idea is that it's self-contained, right? So you don't need to know all of the history of cog. This should be like that, free sample you get when you're like walking around in Costco and like you're starving and you just want to get out of the store and then they give you that free sample and now you have to buy this thing that isn't on your grocery list <laughs> and buy like 20 of them at the same time yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> so this is a free this is the sample that's going to be in one of our upcoming an- anthologies I'm not sure which one because really we want it to come out right so I'm just going to take the time on it smart move you know, like yeah. this is it, because it's not something that's going to be in every anthology like Tracy Queen or Pack. Those had to be worked out and I had to develop a workflow for them because every anthology is going to have the next eight pages of Tracy Queen, the next eight pages of Pack, right? So like they're very machined in their production. Whereas this story, Refuge, it's kind of like, well, we haven't really developed the look for Children of Gaia in comic form yet. So we're kind of just allowing it to be a little bit more developmental, which again, for our audience, for the community is, you know, an attendance based thing. It's like, hey, I'm going to work on this. Come hang out. You know, like. Well, so maybe we should back up a little bit for people who are listening who don't oh, know yeah. about this. Um, so one of the things that we do to, you know, make Oneshi Press more of a community experience is hold a live stream at least twice a week. Sometimes there's more live streams than that where JL creates new artwork for any one of our three ongoing projects. So that's all on Twitch creative and uh, it's twitch.tv slash JL Draco, which is J A Y E L D R A C O for anyone. Who Are we allowed me. to plug ourselves here? No, but well, <laughs> but <okay>. that's, <laughs> absolutely. I was going <laughs> to, well, I was going to do it and then sound like, why would you not want to plug yourselves here? Just like beep that out. <laughs> no. You can watch us live on beep. <laughs> and I just imagine someone's just like, I don't know. I just assume people are either commuting, like having an absolute connection. Like, why didn't you tell me where I could find out? <laughs> right, but seriously, right. though, like I, I feel like I'm kind of on like the, the tail end when it comes to things like, you know, Twitch streaming. I am saying this without, you know, any sort of hyperbole and not just because you're here. For anyone who's listening, definitely check out JL's live streams. The artwork alone is great, though, but, you know, it's it's a really cool, relaxed environment. Get to watch JL do some really great art. Sometimes you and Lindsay also will do Q&As. Those are a lot of fun. Get to hear some great video game music in a process. And they're really fun live streams. And I've done a few. Like, I mean, some of the ones earlier were, like, video game-based, which they can either go either way. But just watching someone create in real time is something that's just fascinating to me. Um, matter of fact, I believe the last one you did, where well, you were working on a Tracy Queen page, um, which I don't know. I don't know if I want to mention the page directly. If that might be a little spoilery, I mean that's up to you. I, I don't. Yeah, mind. anyone who watches the live stream will see the same spoilers. So, you know, 
it's up it's up for grabs really well i guess the part that i saw there i guess there wasn't um obviously it hadn't been lettered yet so just watching the art um i believe it was uh tracy cutting through like a group of oh, yeah. <laughs> that was probably one of the best things i had seen because it's like all right get to hang out with jail Vaneshi, you know Lindsay's in the chat listen to this great video game music while watching him you know touch up a drawing of people getting like vivisected so it was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tracy. Um, they deserved it in in Tracy's defense. Uh-huh. Oh, absolutely. Tracy, I'm not even debating that. <laughs> <laughs> Tracy is sex positive and feminist, but she does not take any shit from anybody. Oh, yeah. And she absolutely is quite not. an accomplished swords person. Swords person? Swordsman? I don't really know if swords person is a swords word. Master? We're making it a word. Swords person. Sword artist? Word. We're going to synergize that <laughs> along with swords. Not just swordist. Swordist? <laughs> See that just yeah, sounds yeah. like Sympathy I don't know that eater. that sounds almost like you kind of hate cutlery I don't know like <laughs> <laughs> why do you hate cutlery what is wrong, what is wrong what with you eat with your hands right <laughs> are you with a sword or nothing at all <laughs> <laughs> oh my god can you imagine you'd have to sit like imagine. three feet away I imagine from the that table all the time. <laughs> Now I'm just expecting in one of like your uh, the quarterly anthologies. Now just like this brief one shot called the sword. Is where it's just <laughs> somebody trying to eat peas with a sword. <laughs> peas very carefully. <laughs> Mushy peas. Oh. Um. So going back to the live stream, um, Dale oh, yeah. <laughs> does one week on one project, the following week on the following project, and so on, and um, keeps cycling through all of our projects. So they're all getting worked on at about the same pace. Right. And the reason that we try to keep them all going at the same pace is that all of these projects are being released eight pages at a time in the Oneshi Press Quarterly Anthology, which is our sort of premier publication right now, um, where we collect eight-page, sometimes four-page comics in a larger volume, some of which are by us, our creative team, and some of which are by a whole bunch of other people. We should probably... Point out some of the amazing oh, fucking yeah. talent. So yeah, we we publish. Uh, at, there's so far we've only published Tracy Queen and Pack of our own making in uh, the anthology. But eventually, there's going to be this new Children of Gaia comic called Refuge, um, and we share these pages with. I don't know. At this point, we probably have at least two dozen other creators um, that have graced the pages of the anthology. We've released four. So we started, I think the first one came out in July of last year, and our most recent one came out April 1st of this year, and we're just going to keep on rolling. We've got about 60 pages per issue at this point, so I think the last one had like six or seven comics in it. Oh, wow. We always have an introductory one-page comic um, that features art by someone that we love, and we also do artist spotlights where we feature the work of fine artists whose work we really appreciate. Sometimes we have guest art by fans of um, our intellectual properties. So we've had some Tracy Queen guest art and we get, you know, awesome cover artists. Uh, the last one, we had a cover art by Tom Barton, who's an English artist who had actually done the art for a short comic in the previous anthology. So we've even got people coming back for more because we're so much fun to work with. <laughs> or at least we like to think so. Trying to get our cat Chalothor to agree to let us publish some of his art. But <laughs> he's lazy, honestly. I'm just going to say it. Oh, I just thought maybe it was the legal team was just not having it. <laughs> yeah, his people and our people just couldn't get along. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the latest anthology, I'm just going to hype it for a minute because we're really proud of this. No, one. hype away because that was actually going to be the next thing I wanted to get into was quarterly nice. anthologies. Because come to think about it, speaking of community, more and more I am noticing an increase of anthologies. And I always think <laughs> of growing up, especially when I was able to at least buy my own music, something I always used to love was buying like these $8, $5 punk rock compilations. Oh, yeah. Which would pretty much have like sometimes anywhere from like 30, 20 to even sometimes 50 bands. Whoa. And uh, some of which, you know, I'm at least in those compilations. These were on 8-track, right? <laughs> hey. Oh, you're not as old as us. Oh. Well, look, I'm basically <laughs> on like the far end of like 33. Trust me, I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> Where like, but yeah, you would get like so many of these great bands, and some of them maybe weren't my cup of tea, and maybe they would be eventually. But it would be a great idea to get introduced to music I wouldn't know otherwise by just being able to just take in all this different music. And yeah. I love that comics are kind of taking a, a similar approach, where within this anthology, whether there be centered on a certain theme, you know, you'll get some great artists and great writing from so many different people that maybe you wouldn't have known of. Had you just released a single issue of it, and not for necessarily for the sake of quality, but when there's so much of it, you kind of get spoiled for choice. So having an anthology, like a one-stop shop where you get all this at once, yeah. it's a really good way to introduce people to uh, a group of creators that they wouldn't have known of otherwise. So I think that's really cool that Oneshi has taken that and made it not only just a thing, but a recurring theme. Part of what's really important to us, like we were mentioning before, is you know building community. And that means not only community between us as creative people and fans of our work, but also building a community of other creative people and helping give them a platform where their work can shine. Because, you know, there are so many amazing, talented people out there. Um, and some of them we've met actually through JL's live stream. You know, other oh, people yeah. who, who do creative live streams. So um, many people. A bunch of them have been featured in our anthologies. And a lot of them are people who are sort of just starting to find sort of their creative expression, you know, and like, right. And some of them are like, some of them are, have like, found it on our it's way like, beyond. <laughs> maybe by the time we're doing like anthology six, like maybe I'll approach them to see if they want to, because like, I just feel like they'd be like, Psh, I don't have time for your, yeah. For your anthology. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I highly doubt it though. I mean, the fact that they're even engaging with you on the live streams, it, that definitely means something, you know, cause Something we all know is that time is very precious. So if they're coming back and they're connecting with you, whether it be through the live streams or through social media, you know, clearly they have an eye for, you know, not only just talent, but also just good natured people, which is also the other half of that. <laughs> yeah. We're definitely trying to cultivate a community of good natured people. <laughs> they're you the know, best ones. To I remember sure. back in the 1900s, um, <laughs> somewhere in the 1980s. Get off my lawn. Um, so <laughs> this anthology, which was the first anthology I ever got, and I still have it in plastic. I still have it. It's my fucking treasure. Like I was a child holding this with just gleaming glint in my eyes. I got it secondhand. Somebody else was done reading it and they gave it to me. I think it was like one of my oldest sister's friends like just handed it to me when they were done. And it was turtle soup. And so that was an Eastman and Laird's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles anthology, where wow. it was a collection of stories written by different people that were all Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle stories, written and illustrated by different people, I should say. And the foreword 
forgive me, I don't remember if the forward was by Eastman or by Laird. I think it might have actually been broken up, but I remember one of them was saying that they imagined that this was like what comics could be. And they imagined a future where people would do this and just like collaborate like this and like let other people play with their characters and write the stories and like, you know what I mean? And like the idea was there of this community based idea, but you know, fuck, they didn't have Twitch. They didn't have Twitter. They didn't have, you know what I mean? They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have the tools, the discord, you know, they didn't have those tools of community building where like they could just get everyone on board and build it and do it. So I don't think it actually ever picked up, but the idea was so beautiful to me that I treasured it. And all these years later, like 30 years later, I still treasure it. And I still have it. And that idea is still meaningful to me, you know, and it's still something that I'm doing. And I'm actually wearing a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles shirt right now. Just <laughs> just saying. He just ran his, his hand seductively across his chest. As he <laughs> I was I was tracing the logo. I just thought that the listeners at home might want to know that. <laughs> it's the Ninja Turtles, though. That love goes deep. Believe me, I still have, like, a Ninja Turtles jacket from when I was, like, five or six years old. And I probably should, like, give it to Goodwill. I was like, no, I love this thing. Maybe one of, like, my relatives' kids will wear it one day. I don't know. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> Does awesome. it still fit? No. I oh, I would tear through that like the Incredible Hulk in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, just I, paint yourself green and put it on. Get some that's purple pants. <laughs> See, that's why I don't do Twitch streams, because that would be mine. It would be, watch me try to fit into a shirt that I wore when I was a small child. Whereas yours, it's a, a lot more thoughtfulness goes into it, and a lot less like horrific imagery. Yeah, but you know, yours might you get know, really popular. That sounds like fun. Just gonna yeah, say. but for all the wrong reasons. Or what I should do is, <laughs> if I... all the wrong... At what cost? Or have, like, a Twitch stream where it's me, like, reading, like, several press releases on corporate speak and seeing just... <laughs> <laughs> seeing well, how long it takes me to, like, not lose my entire shit. You know, maybe we should have you sometime, like, when I'm doing, like, a Twitch stream, have you in, like have you in discord and just do like a a chat like this like i don't know if sometime when one of my streams lines up with a time that you're like hey i don't have anything i need to be doing right now you know if you're like around hanging out like i don't know this is just a lot of fun you're just <laughs> great to talk to uh, or maybe you could be in the background of a live stream reading press releases but do it in the the voice of um the guy oh for some reason i'm forgetting the name the little cars little matchbox cars Oh, the, was it like the, the Micro Machines guy? Micro Machines, that's it. That Are you guy. kidding me? I've been trying to do that for years, and I think that's actually the first time I ever collapsed. Can Can you like? Can you do that? No, I can't. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Like, I if I could do that, my podcast would be so much more interesting. <laughs> oh, and, and then people already say I talk fast enough. You want to make it worse for me? <laughs> <laughs> something something highways and byways i don't know i remember like oh man those commercials were so good but yeah as a kid we all used to pretend that we could do that but really we'd just be like speaking gibberish yeah like, blah, blah, blah. 
you know i really think he misses calling like i think had he you know kind of came up a little bit later on he would have had this really bizarre yet super successful career as like maybe like an indie rapper or something like that yeah (laughs) yeah because like his cadence and flow honestly with a good beat behind that yeah would be kind of legendary i wonder if he started out as like an auctioneer (laughs) because that's a really specific skill you know Hmm. right wonder how do you even find out you do that whatever happened to the micro machine okay so <laughs> one of the things about? i wanted to go back to though if it's okay is it okay to go back or are we like no you can't you can't rewind it all this forward or nowhere <laughs> forward or nowhere forward or bust baby um doctor who goes backward what are you talking about in time but never on his own timeline oh on his own timeline okay <laughs> Come on. Like they Dude. went back to Pompeii. Right? Did you know what that would do to the causal nexus, Lindsay? The causal nexus. I thought we were just talking about time. Don't This might have been like the nerdiest exchange of my show. Like <laughs> uh, oh we're my taking God. out right now. Oh my god. But no, by all means, please. Like this is your platform. Use this. Okay, so what I wanted to say, um, and in retrospect, I realized there may I may have made a grievous error in describing something incorrectly about the community approach to the artists and writers that were getting to be involved in this anthology. In that I stated, you know, in future anthologies, you know, there are people that I'll invite in that I haven't, you know, dreamt of inviting in yet. And that is not at all to say that there are levels of artistry that are like higher and so far like we've been building our way up or anything because in the first anthology we have two amazing artist writers you know who had never done comics before. Tom Swiftbird and Miguel Colon like amazing like they're they're both amazing writers and they're both amazing artists and we're just so stoked to have them in it but the truth is they're friends of ours You know what I mean? And that's the difference. It's not that like they aren't as professional as people that we haven't asked yet. It's that, of course, we already dipped into our own community and people that we already work with, people that we already have an established collaborative effort with. You know what I mean? Then we're we're spiraling out into people we don't know yet. We only know professionally. It's not that they're better than people we've already worked with. It's just that we don't know them as well. Yeah, and they're people whose work we are aware of before we know them. Um, But yeah, we've published, we've published friends, we've published, you know, pretty big time artists, and we're continuing to do so. But we've also published people who, you know, found us online and, you know, submitted their work to us who we didn't know before, but who we've established awesome relationships with. And several of the people that we published, it was their first time ever making a comic. And I mean, I'm totally not ashamed to say that I think they're amazing. Um, We're not trying to hold everyone to the same standard. Like we're not trying to publish only things that look like a Marvel comic. We want all sorts of different styles, um, different storytelling. We do color and black and white and watercolor and digital and like everything in between. It's been so amazing to see just the breadth of imagination that people are capable of. And every time we get a new submission, it looks so different from anything that we've seen before. It's, it's amazing. And I'm also going to take this moment to plug the fact that because we are doing an anthology every three months, 
it's basically like a rolling submission schedule. So anyone who's listening who has something that they want to submit, whether it's a script and you're looking for an artist or if you have a finished comic or if you're an artist that's looking for a script, feel free to contact us because we are literally always looking for more submissions. That's really cool. Like, I like that idea where it's like, we're starting this company, we're trying to grow and expand. And it's easy, or maybe I shouldn't say it's easy. Maybe that's poor phrasing. But I meant to, what I mean is going to the traditional route of, okay, we're here. You know, we only want to deal with X, Y, and Z artists. But to be able to take on someone who, not like they're untalented, but they just might be untested, you know, to take on someone who is very good at what they do, but has never really been given a platform to showcase their work on a larger scale, to be able to reach the handout and say, hey, I'm willing to take a chance on you. I mean, professionally speaking, you know, it can go one or two ways. You know, you never really know. But to even take that risk to be like, look, we believe in you enough that we want to have other people see your work. And we believe in it that much that we're willing to put it in our anthologies and put our name on it. You know, and it's, of course, talking corporate speak, you know, it's not necessarily a matter of brand, but a matter of reputation. It is. It is. I mean, you can only succeed based on your reputation, right? Right. That reputation to be able to have an eye for not only talent, but also skill, professionalism, and just how they deal with people, and to just take somebody and give them that chance, that's how a community grows. You know, I got to say, I think it's really perceptive of you to realize that, and I think it's really kind of you to point it out. And the reason why I say perceptive is because I think not many people would necessarily consider the fact that every three months we're putting out a new anthology and some people completely don't get back to emails or miss deadlines or just decide they don't want to do it and don't tell us. And we have X amount of pages to fill on a schedule. So like that means every three months, I mean, we're stressing out about this to get it done. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like so that everyone involved is part of something that they signed up to be involved in, you know, because it only works if it works for everyone. It doesn't work if it only works for us. And it doesn't work if it only works for so-and-so like it only works if it works for everyone involved. So we have to make that, make sure that that's, you know, what we're doing and it's hard, you know, it is. And it's definitely a learned skill because not everybody necessarily starts out having that knowledge. And I will admit, I have made mistakes and I'm pretty sure I will continue to make mistakes. And it's hard, especially when you don't have necessarily all of the skills off the bat. It's almost like mentorship in a way. It, huh. it can be a little bit like that. I mean, there have been there have been a few people that submitted scripts to us that I've worked with, like in an editorial capacity. And it's always been nerve wracking for me because I'm I'm a trained copy editor and I'm, I'm a writer. So I have a lot of experience with having my own work edited and with editing other people's work. So there have been a few times when people have submitted scripts to us and I've written back and I'm all excited, you know, and I'm like, oh, this is great, except let's talk about this and this and this. And I have like notes all over it. And that can be really scary for people who aren't really used to that that. level of editing. Right. But so far, fingers crossed, it has always gone really well because the idea behind what we're doing is always to make the work as great as we can. And I'm always trying to access the parts of people's brains that will make their very good work shine. 
And so far, I mean, I've, we've had like great results and we've actually developed some really great like ongoing relationships with a few people who, you know, are coming to me for editorial help and we're publishing their work. And it's been a really fantastic experience to see that even when I come on really strong, so far nobody has like turned tail and run away because I'm <laughs> because I'm like slobbering over the prospect of getting to work with somebody new. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's we really do try to develop a relationship with a creative person to not only develop their work, but sort of their ability to work as part of a team. And we've got certain people that will always come back, you know, and we, if anything, might have to space them out a little like, hey, we can't if we have you in every anthology, it'll look like we're playing favorites, you know, like, <laughs> you know, and also the whole idea is to keep this like thing where new people and people that haven't had their work published or people that haven't had their work published to this demographic, you know, get the exposure of everyone else's fan base. Right. So if we have too many of like re return, you know, like if every single one of your podcasts was someone that came back, you know, you didn't ever take on new people, it would just be more of the same, but it's like still really nice to have people that come back. Right. People that you've worked with before and to know that you develop that relationship that right. they want to keep working with. So you. we also have to like balance that and be like, all right, cool. We definitely are stoked to have this person back, but to be able to have this new person in, we have to push them back to issues. So like, then we get into like the mathematics of like, how many shorts can we fit into an anthology? And then, you know, how can we have this person who's submitting for the second time in it again without taking the place of someone who's new? But then again, someone who's new is an unknown variable, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like mm -hmm. sometimes you just want to like flip a coin and just be like, you know. But we don't. We don't. We don't do that. <laughs> we talk about it for hours exhaustively. Like we really do. Every, every single day we start off the day talking about it over breakfast. I mean, you know, it's like what we do. And that level of commitment and just even being concerned about that much means that you're ahead of the game and not in any sort of competitive level. But you know what that means? That means you're that dedicated that you care that much to even do that. I mean, we're doing it for love, right? If we were doing it to like get rich, we'd be investment investment bankers. Or yeah, we would be wearing those suits. <laughs> we'd do something completely different <laughs> if we were doing something just to get rich. Like yeah. we're doing this out of love, and it's love for art, love for artists. And when I say art and artists, I include writing as an art. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a very broad use of the word art in this case. Um, but, you know, we're doing it for love of the art and of the artists and of the community and of pop culture to really I think to really love pop culture is to be a part of it, not just to be a consumer of it for me. And I don't mean to speak for everybody, but I definitely agree to that. You know, there's a reason why fandoms can be these great places, because you'd be surprised with what takes off and what people really build a following towards. And, you know, you basically want to give back. It's involving, right? Yeah. Like, you can't just idly be a fan. If you're really a fan of something, you're involved. On some level. Like you with your podcast, you're involved. People write about things. People cosplay things. People collect things. People support things. People, you know, even just voting with your dollar, supporting things with your dollar, whatever it is. When people are truly a fan of something, when people are truly, truly love something, they're involved. It's not a passive thing. 
you know. And nor should it be. Yeah, I don't I don't think it should be. I mean, I guess someone could point out all the ways in which I'm wrong. <laughs> but, you know, like... <laughs> Well, there's definitely a, a dialogue to be had about it, which is something that, you know, constructively I always encourage. Okay. But I just wanted to just say thanks, by the way, JL, because actually, well, Lindsay, too. That's right. You were there for that. You were doing a live stream for, I know what I was like running on, like just as you were about to close up shop and willing to take at least a couple of minutes and speak about something I didn't really think much about, where I thought about it a lot, actually, about, you know, with as far as a mission statement or a, a kind of a way to really let people in on the mission behind the show and you know providing a lot of food for thought when you really could have just been like well sorry we're kind of done with the last stream you know catch you next time bye and cut the channel off but you were willing to sit there for an extra couple of minutes to kind of work out this thing and you really didn't have to so i think of it like basically like you are okay if if i'm a fighter in pop culture i look at you as a referee and I think that your commentary and your statement, your conversation, the lens that you hold to creators, what you do, you know, like that's your involvement in pop culture. You're the pinnacle of involvement in pop culture, you know. You're the pinnacle of showing up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I try to be, you know, it doesn't always work out, but, you know. Hey, I saw an Instagram post recently where you like went to meet a comic book creator at a signing out on Long Island and you got lost on the way there and you drove around for like hours trying to find it and called the place and like most people at that point would have just, just given like, up and it, gone home. Getting a beer. <laughs> and instead, you went and found them and they like stayed open so that you could meet the comic book creator. Like that's awesome. That is showing up. Yeah, and I definitively. And I definitely have to thank them and i keep that's funny you should mention that because i think about that moment a lot and because you know much like with you you know you didn't have to take that time out you know they took the time to help somebody come to their store and just to take a couple of moments out and that's a level of dedication and i mean you know within your means because not everybody maybe is able to let alone has a desire to but that's why as much as it is difficult or can be hectic or whatever it is the fact that so many people were willing to do these things for me not even really knowing me it's like you know i have to find some way to give back and i you know if i don't mean to speak for you but it seems like at least in a way you know you try to give back to the things that you love by helping someone else and really again how does any community stay afloat and build and also grow allies collaboration Competition is the death of community. Competition is the antithesis of community. And I think that we're in a, in a turning point socially where that notion is going to start becoming normalized. You know what I mean? Like hmm. we collaborate. I can do what I can do because of my predecessors and my peers, not in spite of them. And there's this idea that like competition is what makes you strong. no. Teachers are what make you strong. Providers are what make you strong. Collaboration is what makes you strong, you know? And I mean, that's what you do. Like when I was trying to talk about like the idea that like you're this like referee, like you're part of the creative process by talking to creators about their creations and being a magnifier of, you know, being um, someone who is involved in stirring the conversation about pop culture that's so important it's vital you know like it really is vital and you know i, I think that like 
I want to describe that. Like when anytime you show up at one of my live streams, I want to tell everyone. I just don't want to tell them in my way. Like I'd rather know how you would want it described so that I'm doing you justice because you're doing a justice for so many people with your podcast. You know, I really do think that like it's it's such a great service to try and look into pop culture, you know, contemporary pop culture and let people know what's going on and let people know what's new and what's current and the ideology of what's happening. Like you are a monk in the church of pop, you know, <laughs> and that's a service. I can think of monk and I always think of Diablo for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I meant like, you know, I know it's like a lot less punching and kicking though. <laughs> a lot less. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Uh, well, yeah, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, but thank you so much, Lindsay and JL, for stopping by and for chatting about your stuff. And, of course, best of luck. But before we go, for the sake of reiteration and possibly titillation, <laughs> see, repetition, that's how we're going to work on it. Great. Now I feel like I'm just starting to back. We are not Doctor Who. <laughs> it's not gonna. It's not going to go away. But please let everybody know where they can find out more about you, please hype away. All right. So, um, Oneshi press it's O N E S H I P R E S S dot com has links to all of our, everything. I mean, every, everything that we do, you can find from there. You can find Lindsay dot com. You can find, jldraco.com you can find tracyqueen.com you can find children-of-gaia.com <laughs> you can find packcomic.com in links all from oneshipress.com right. you can find the patreon.com slash oneshipress on oneshipress.com so as long as you can type in oneshipress.com and again that's o-n-e-s-h-i p-r-e-s-s dot com from there, you'll find everything that we do. Yeah, our store is there, um, and you can order comics through our store. We have print versions of them, and they're also available to, uh, digitally through Comixology. Um, and we've also got all kinds of really fun merch on the store, like art prints and shirts and socks. I think we even have socks. We have socks. <laughs> oh, nice. And, and mugs <laughs> and bags and, you know. All that good stuff um, with art from the stories and logos and, and whatnot all over them. So that's super fun. And yeah, people who are interested in supporting us on Patreon, we have a whole bunch of obviously different tiers that you can support us at monthly. And the rewards that we send you vary, you know, depending on what you put in. But if uh, you're interested in receiving all of our anthologies, um, some of our subscribers get all of the anthologies when they come out. So that's a little perk if you're interested in becoming a support. That'll do it for this episode of Adrian Has Issues. We will see you next issue. Thank you for listening to Adrian Has Issues. 
please visit us on the web at adrianhasissues.com where you can stream and download all of our other great episodes. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Adrian Has Issues. Follow us on Twitter at Adrian Has Issues and on Instagram at Adrian Has Issues Pod. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and the Laughable Podcast app. Thanks again.